Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hollywood and the Vine. Starting off a little different this week. Hi, this is Ken Levine, your podcast host. And over the years, I've had a number of listeners ask me, who made those jingles that you play, like the one you just heard a few seconds ago? Well, there are only a few companies that actually make radio station jingles, and mine was made by the best. Which brings me to my guest this week, Jonathan Wolfert, who is the president and founder of Jam Creative Productions in Dallas. Now, you've heard his handiwork thousands of times, but you just didn't know it. And jingles are like an aspect of radio that you never really think about, except if you go back and recall that radio station that you loved listening to as a kid, bet you still can sing the jingle. You know, it's one of those things subliminally that just gets into your head and stays with you. And uh, it's an aspect of radio that's rarely discussed, I mean, I have yet to see a discussion on jingles on 60 Minutes. But before we delve into that, we have a fascinating discussion as John is going to demonstrate why the music of today is very different from the eras of rock and roll that preceded it. And he'll explain why it is different, and it will be up to you to decide whether or not uh, today's music is better. Okay, so a lot to do. It is a supersized episode, but well worth the extra few minutes on the Stairmaster or in the bathtub. John Wolford, my guest this week on Hollywood and the Vine. Well, John, you have a very popular show. There is a oldies. Uh, internet radio station called Rewound Radio, which is impossible to say. I, I really admire that you can say that uh, so many times without sounding like Ed Sullivan. Are we on radio? You know, it's it's not something that Tom Brokaw could ever work on. But um, you have a show that's on Sunday at three o'clock Eastern for three hours, and it's live. And in addition to playing great oldies. You also have features about radio jingles. And normally you'd think, okay, there's what, seven people in the world who are interested in that? But you have thousands of people from all over the world that listen. And it's it's interesting because anybody who grew up listening to radio and they have their favorite radio stations... You know, they have a certain affection for the station and the station sound and the jingles. And you're the guy who made them. So uh, it turns out there's an awful lot of people who are interested in jingles. Well, there are. And yes, you're right. Rewound radio. You have to be very careful so that it doesn't come out sounding like we wound radio. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and every now and then it does anyway, but uh, it, it's a great little online station, as you said, for people who enjoy music of the 50s through, say, the the mid-80s or so. And uh, not only people who enjoy that music, but people who enjoy the type and style of radio that existed in those years, the stations that played that music and the way they did and the DJs and the jingles were part of that. And uh, I... 
just got into doing this this show a few years ago because uh, I've been a, a radio buff and a radio guy since I was uh, 16 years old. And although I've spent my whole career making radio jingles, and we can talk about that a little later if you'd like, but uh, I discovered that there are fans of these little radio jingles uh, there are collectors, which which I used to be and you used to be, which is how we met in the first place mm-hmm. uh, back when dinosaurs were roaming the earth, and uh, it's just it's just a fun, interesting topic. So so I on this show, which uh, which I do for for fun, is uh, really one of the most enjoyable things that happens all week because I do indeed hear from people all over the country, all over the world. Uh, They can communicate in real time through Facebook or email. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to find out that no matter what I talk about or what I play on those jingle segments, it means something to somebody somewhere, and that always shocks me. It's like I'll play something and go, well, I don't know if anybody's going to remember this or care. And then inevitably I hear from somebody who says, oh, yeah, that was my favorite thing. I remember that. I grew up listening to that. Wow. You know. So these, these jingles stick, stick in your memory and definitely uh, are part of everybody's group nostalgia and, uh, and shared experience. So it's fun. Now, you did a feature a couple of weeks ago that I found fascinating because I myself don't really understand music. Uh, I don't know how to play an instrument. And you had a whole feature on the difference between today's music and music of, say, the 60s and 70s, dealing with chords and the way songs are basically built. And it was so interesting. I was so enthralled that I called you and I said, please come on the podcast and do that again. (laughs) That was really interesting. Well, uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And yes, that segment did get quite a positive response, more than average, for something that uh, that I get up on a soapbox and do on this uh, little show. And uh, I can uh, walk you through that uh, whole segment one more time. Please. A, a, rare, a rare rerun right here. <laughs> a reround. See, I can't even say it. A, a rewound, rewound radio rerun. 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 Radio. Yeah, say that five times fast. <laughs> uh, well, okay. Well, let me tell you how, how I first thought about addressing this as a subject, and this is a bonus extra podcast listeners because I didn't talk about this on my show. So we have value added right here. Uh, We were a few weeks back at the grocery store, my wife and I with our masks on, you know, going around to, to get groceries. And in the grocery store, they have music playing typically, you know, off the crappy little speakers in the ceiling there. And I don't usually pay a whole lot of attention to it. And it's interrupted every five minutes by some public address announcement saying, manager to register six, please, and all that. But I was was listening to whatever song it was, and I noticed, well, this is like the same three notes I've been hearing for five minutes now. It's really becoming annoying and boring, and what, what is this? And it turns out what I was hearing was part of this song. 
<laughs> and it went on and, and it went on like that. That's a song called Love Me Not by Whitney Wars. And let me just say at the outset, before I even go any further, that everything I'm about to say here is a sweeping generalization. There are exceptions to everything that's about to come out of my mouth. So I don't want your email or your comments section to be full of people going, well, what are you talking about? She's a great singer. That's a great song. Or she's, yeah, well, maybe that one's bad, but how about that? I know, I know. There are lots of exceptions, but I'm, I'm in oh, talking they send me hate in mail general. For things much less egregious than that. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. So, so the thing is, you know, I'm not saying she's a bad singer or has no talent or any of that. It's just that the song itself has three notes in it over and over and over and over. And I started thinking about, well, is that perhaps the reason that I am not as enamored with some of the contemporary music that's out as I am with uh, some of, I guess we'd call them the oldies, you know, music uh, from previous decades. So I started thinking about that. And to explain my theory about that, uh, we need to first establish a few basic definitions here. And uh, again, you know, I'm not a music teacher and this isn't supposed to be a music lesson, but, you know, I have uh, played piano since I was in first grade and I've written jingles that are heard all over the world. So I can at least attempt to explain this. So we all know what a note is. You can go up to a piano keyboard and press any one of those white or black keys there and you're going to hear a note. That's a note. Nothing too dramatic about that. So if you string together a sequence of notes in a pleasant way, hopefully a pleasant way, you end up with a melody. Okay, so we've just strung a bunch of notes together to create a melody. That's okay. pretty good. You well, should save that one. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's got a future. So if you take that single note and you play another note at the same time, you will have some form of harmony. Hopefully, uh, something pleasing to the ear. Very simple. That's just two notes together. That's the beginning of a chord. You can add a third note. And now you have a, a bigger chord. It's a simple triad chord. But if you play several notes at once, you get a chord. And chords are really the foundation of music because if you, big, uh, if you make great big chords, big handfuls of notes that... Uh, that keep changing around, you wind up with a nice little something, like, like it could be like this. And that's nothing. That's, that's just a handful of schmaltzy chords, but I'm just trying to demonstrate that the chords are basically what is making or defining the melody. The, the notes in the melody have to be able to match the chords that you're playing. So, you know, you need, you need chords to make a melody. I mean, even, even if you want to play Hollywood and Levine, there's chords there, okay? It's not just the same chord over and over again. So even 
as far back as the 50s, well, I should say that, you know, there are some masterful songs that were written in the 30s and 40s, the, the, the standards, the big band stuff. Those guys were just amazing with the melodies they came up with and the chords and everything. So I'm certainly not discounting that. But just, just to move the discussion into a slightly more contemporary area. Yeah, you 1950. Know, even, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just yesterday. Even, well, even in the 50s, they used, you know, a sequence of chords. Now, granted, in the 50s, at least in the rock and roll songs, there weren't a whole lot of different chords. I mean, how many songs can you think of that all sounded like this? Okay, that's the entire decade right there in a nutshell because... There are, there are so many songs that use those basic chords, but the idea is at least there were four chords there, and then they would invent melodies to, to go with them. Well, as uh, music or as uh, top 40 music matured a little bit, the chords got more interesting, there got to be more of them, and uh, just, just as a way to demonstrate that, what, what I thought I'd do here is just play a little clip, a little bit of a song that uh, most everyone should recognize. And what I'm going to do on the uh, keyboard here is just play the chords that are happening in the song. And I'm not going to play some fancy keyboard part. I mean, if I was playing this song in a band or something, this certainly isn't what I would play. But just as an indication of when the chords are changing. I'm just going to bang out these chords as they are playing on the record just so you can see oh yeah, well there's a chord. Oh, there's a different chord. Oh look, they have more than three. Look, oh there's another one. So so let's uh, just trace through this. So, so in the, uh, let's go back to the early 60s, one of the earliest hits by the Beatles and like I said, you're going to hear them for, uh, you know, half a minute or so singing the song, and then you're going to hear me on top of that just banging out the different chords. Okay, so what you heard there was was a variety of chords, some major chords, some minor chords, but it allowed them to to create an interesting melody. And that was in their earliest days. As as the Beatles developed, they got a lot more sophisticated in terms of their melodies and their chords and everything else. Uh, let me just give you one more example from a few years later in the 60s, uh, another, another Beatles song. And again, you're going to hear the, uh, the record, and then you're going to hear me just, just banging out chords to show you how many they used and how often they changed. Easy. I know. 
Then they go somewhere else here. Okay, so you, so you get the idea. The idea is that lots of different chords being used, interesting melody, different unexpected things happening. You should be so with the Beatles. Uh, you, you are the fifth Beatle. People talk about yeah, well, the fifth Beatle. <laughs> yeah, because what it's they like, really needed... I never liked those songs until just now. I think those yeah, piano well, notes that's what, really that's what's been missing. enhance them. <laughs> That's what's been missing this entire time. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, uh, the thing is, if you compare that to a current song, what's the difference? And uh, we're going to do two or three of these examples here. But this this first one, you know, I went and looked up what uh, some of the current uh, top 40 songs are uh, and... Uh, figured out that uh, they all have this, this, well, not all, like I said, this is a generalization, but many of them, the ones that I have an issue with, have this particular affliction. There are hardly any different chords and there's hardly any difference in what the melody is doing. So let me, let me explain what I'm talking about. There's a song called My Ex's Best Friend, and it's done by Machine Gun Kelly and Black Bear, and let me just play you a little piece of that. First off, I'm not sorry. I want to apologize to nobody. You play like I'm invisible. Girl, don't act like you ain't saw me. Last year was a mess and how I acted was beyond me. But the past still revolves me. You text me, I ain't responding. But now shit's unchanged. Go our separate ways. So far, we've heard three notes. Now we're hearing one. Oh, wow, yeah. Okay, so you see what I'm getting at. It's, it's repetitive. Yeah, play now, the, the message... Notes. Yeah, see, it's, it's, basically, it's basically this... over and over and over. So how memorable is that? Now, now I realize, you know, some people are going to say, yeah, but it's the message of the song and it's the lyrics and all that. Well, that's fine. But Beatles songs had lyrics and messages and they also managed to, you know, come up with melodies for them. <laughs> so I, I just think that uh, the, the style that uh, is popular even though there's there's maybe one or two or three, if you're lucky, chords kind of changing underneath what I just played you, it's the same three notes over and over. It's it's as if the whole object now is to uh, write something that uh, conveys your your message, to write a little poem or or write a lyric, and then it's just this big inconvenience to have to set it to music. You know, well, I, I don't know. I'll, here, I can, I can sing these three notes. So if, uh, if you want to hear some more examples, I, I can go on here. Let yeah, me, play uh, one more example. It's fun. All right. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's zoom into the 70s. And uh, let me play you 
the same example, uh, a song from the 70s, one of the biggest songs from the 70s, from uh, Carol King from her great Tapestry album. This is a classic. And again, I'm going to ruin it by playing chords over the top of it, but I'm trying to make a point at how many there are and how often they change. You get the idea. There's there's variety. There's variety in the chords. There's variety in the music and so forth. Contrast that to another uh, contemporary song. Uh, here's a little excerpt from one called Go Crazy by Chris Brown and Young Thug. Hey, I don't name these groups. I just read the labels, you know. But uh, but here's a little bit of that song. I could tell you love it when we made up. Three notes. So far in that whole little piece there, we heard three notes. That's, that's the song over and over and over and over again. So, you know, it just, it just seems as if I don't know whether music has been dumbed down or whether people's tastes have, have changed. Obviously, they do. They always do. That's okay. But uh, to me, I mean, I miss, I miss music. I miss melody. And I know I'm coming off as the old guy. But, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that uh, there's there's production involved in these songs, these these current songs, but instead of uh, focusing on the musical aspects, they're focusing more on the effects. You know, what can we do to this guy's voice to make it sound weird? And and what uh, what words can we uh, can we put in echo? And what words can we filter? And what words can we, you know, when can we take the drum machine in and out? Yeah, there's production to it, and that's a skill. I get that. And, uh, and I don't hate every song, like I said. But just in general, uh, it just seems like the whole thing has been, has been dumbed down, and it's, uh, it's just sad, that's all. Yeah. Well, I just got a text from Carol King saying, I didn't realize all that stuff was in my song. Thank you. (laughs) 
And uh, yeah, I, I got a text from her too, wondering whether uh, she can take piano lessons from me next week. And, uh, <laughs> uh, wow. Well, let's segue yeah. into into what you do, which is a very uh, specialized niche. You know, radio stations all have these jingles. And people are always amazed because, you know, you, you grow up in Buffalo or you grow up in Phoenix and then you, you go to Seattle on vacation to visit your grandmother and you listen to the radio station in Seattle and you go, well, wait a minute, they have the same jingles as my station in Phoenix. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. you wonder, who makes these things? <laughs> we make these things. Well, actually, uh, the... The whole industry, if you can even call it that, of making these little jingles for radio stations is a very, very specialized little tiny niche of the recording business. And almost all of the jingles that uh, anybody ever hears come from one of a handful, literally a handful of places on, on planet Earth. And uh, Dallas, Texas, where I'm speaking to you from right now, has uh, been the kind of jingle capital, at least for this kind of jingle production, for a long time because the business really started here uh, in the early 1950s. Not that there weren't jingles before that, but the idea of having a company to make these jingles and then syndicate them, which, as you described, is going around from station to station, city to city, and saying, well, we could re-sing this little song for you and just put your call letters into it instead of these guys. So that that really started here, and the, the business grew up here, and uh, it's what I wanted to to do from you know the minute I was first aware of jingles as a kid, you know, listening to them growing up in New York where there were some great radio stations and I would hear these great jingles, these great little songs talking about my favorite station. And I was, I was the weird kid who wondered, well, who makes those and who are those people and where did that come from? And then also, as you said, the, uh, the, the kick of listening to some stations from out of town and hearing these same familiar jingles but with different words or with a different tune or whatever. But you could tell it was the same thing, so how could that possibly be? You know, that that would be like being, uh, well, we're talking about the Beatles. That would be like being a, a big Beatles fan and then discovering that they had re-sung the songs for every city with slightly different lyrics, you know, and you'd, wow, I wonder if I could collect all those. So... So let, let me just uh, give folks who may be wondering an example of, of what a jingle is or what a radio station ID jingle is. Great. Because we, we, we do them in all different styles and lengths for different kinds of stations. We do them in different languages. We do them for countries all around the world. It's, it's very specialized. But a jingle is basically just a short little hopefully memorable piece of music that tells you what you're listening to. And it can be something really short. W-A-B-C. It can be something a bit longer. Sports Radio 66. The Fan. New York. It can be something even more dramatic than that.
So as you can hear, these are not little uh, chintzy productions here. It's, it's full of strings from the symphony and horns and rhythm and everything else. Uh, you know, jingles can also be something softer and prettier. So those are just examples, and, and we've done... Tens of thousands, actually probably hundreds of thousands of jingles uh, through through the many decades that uh, that we've been doing this at Jam. And uh, before that, I worked at a company called Pam's, which was the original jingle company that started up and had done a lot of those great jingles that I loved uh, growing up. So that that's what jingles are. And you know the the thing that you, you know you mentioned. There's only a handful of places that make those jingles. And it seems to me the reason is because it's got to be very difficult. The precision that is required, it's a very unique skill set. And those singers are very well trained. You just can't take somebody off the street who can sing Oklahoma and put them in a, in a jingle session. So it's like, you know, for those people, because you, what, you have like seven people, and they're all singing different notes and harmonies, and they basically just come in for a session and have to read the sheet music cold and sing all of these jingles. That's a real skill. Oh, definitely, definitely. All of the the musicians as well as the singers that uh, perform on these things are all very, very skilled and talented folks. Uh, they can all sight read. I mean, they don't have time to come in and take the music over to the piano and work out, oh, I'm supposed to sing these notes or sing me what I'm supposed to sing and then I'll try and remember it and do it. You don't have time for that. It's, you got to come in, the music's on the page, you see it, you sing it, and you have to be able to blend with everybody else in the group. You have to know how loud your note needs to be in the chord that you're trying to make. You have to uh, phrase syllables and things because clarity is really the most important thing. If, if you have this great jingle but nobody can understand what you're saying, then it's a waste of time. So, you know, if you have a word like hit you know, today's biggest hit or something, all those T's, you don't want hit, you know, it's, you got to have everybody doing the same thing at the same time. And a lot of the singers that we use have been doing this for years and years and years. I mean, new people gradually come along who have the right skills and then we add them. And, you know, as time goes by, some people will retire or move away or whatever. So the, the, the group changes, but very slowly. It's like watching a glacier move because <laughs> it's just hard to find these folks. And uh, the, we, we're very uh, lucky here that there are, you know, a lot of uh, skilled singers that we can use. And, of course, you know, there there are great singers in Los Angeles. We've, we've used them on occasion as well. There are great singers in New York and other places, but the, the, the thing is 
it's not just enough to to have a nice voice. Uh, if you were born with a nice voice, that's great, but you have to have the the mental computer with you that knows how to use it and knows what kind of you know sound to make and uh, when to use vibrato and when not to and just all these technical things. So yeah, that that's why there are so few jingle companies because it's not often that you have a confluence of all that talent and you know writers and a studio and producers who know what to do with it plus plus to be in this business you have to be a little bit out of your mind so <laughs> oh there's that yeah that, that's that's the real requirement as opposed because... to my business yeah well <laughs> i once asked one of your jingle singers i said so if somebody is off by a half a note can you tell and she said we all can Oh yeah. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> and and the and the good thing is if you're working in a good environment where everybody is friends and everybody trusts each other, if somebody screws up, they're going to just admit it way out, right out loud. They're not going to hide and hope nobody notices. They're going to say, "I need that again. I completely screwed that up." And everybody laughs and we do it again and it happens to everybody sooner or later. So. I'm sure the lyrics sometimes can be challenging. A lot of radio stations used to have uh, jingles for each of their disc jockeys. So from time to time, your singers have to go Edward Snigalopoulos, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's especially challenging if we're doing jingles in a foreign language. We sometimes do jingles in Spanish or French or Portuguese and... uh, the client usually is either there to help us with the pronunciation or in recent times they usually just send along a recording of them saying here's here is how we say this you know and they're saying it with an accent and it's very confusing but the thing is that uh, some of those foreign language names are really hard to do but uh yeah, you know, we, we end up having to sing Sean W. Grabowski and and not laugh, so <laughs> Well, one of your singers was a gentleman named Chris Kershaw. And if the name Kershaw sounds familiar to people, it's because his son is Dodger pitcher Clayton Kershaw. So you basically knew Clayton growing up, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Chris, who uh, sadly passed away a few years back, but... uh, you know, he was on, on – well, I, I met Chris when I first started working at PAMS in the early 70s, and he had just started there maybe a year before me. And uh, so we were, we were the two young guys, and so we worked on a lot of stuff together. But then uh, after my wife and I started Jam, our company, uh, we worked with Chris uh, always – uh, as a writer and in the in the vocal group, and then eventually in the eighties, uh, he was just on staff full time with us, and that continued for i don 't know almost twenty years, something like that but uh, but you know he would sometimes uh, come bring Clayton along to to sessions just to uh, to sit in and and see what he was doing or or uh, he'd let Clayton hang out in his office watching TV while he'd go sing on a session or something. And so, yeah, it, it is bizarre to me 
to be watching these Dodger baseball games and hear the announcers go, it's Kershaw. And I'm turning around and going, where? Chris is here? Oh, 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 Clayton, right, right. Why is he on TV? Oh, yeah, because he's amazing. Okay, yeah. You know, it's just weird to equate that, that little kid with uh, what you're seeing uh, these days, but it's cool. Yeah, now you also are a licensed pilot and have a plane, and didn't you once fly him to some baseball game that he had to pitch in? <laughs> yes, yes, ind- indeed, yes. I, I have uh, I have a small little plane, and it uh, came to pass one day that uh, Chris and Clayton were uh, visiting. I think they were. I think they were up visiting. Uh, Chris's parents in a little town in Texas called Bonham, Texas. And uh, there was some event that they had to be there for. I forget what it was, but Clayton had a real important game that afternoon and they were trying to figure out the logistics of, well, how can we be here for this thing that happens at noon and Clayton's going to be at his game at one? How are we going to do that? I said, well, why don't I just fly up there and pick you up and do it? So, you know, it's not that far in an airplane. Uh, it would have taken them uh, quite a while to drive it. But, you know, in an airplane, it's like a 20-minute flight. It's no big deal. So so I flew up there and uh, gave Chris and Clayton. Clayton sat in the front seat because Chris wanted Clayton to be able to see all the cool stuff and all the dials and whistles and controls and look out the window. And so, yes, I, I shuttled him. I mean, I'm sure he's, he's now taken private jets to his engagements and stuff, but uh, I think his, his first chauffeured airplane ride was probably with me. Well, when I worked with him, when I was doing Dodger Talk, and I would mention that I knew you, his eyes always lit up. So cool. he, he well, remembers. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. That's cool. Now, sometimes famous people do jingles, usually before they become famous. But there's a story, talk a little bit about this. There's a radio station in New York, WPLJ, and they wanted some jingles in London, right? And so they put out an open call for singers. They had, uh, yeah, the, the station wanted it was wabc fm at the time uh later it became a station they changed it to wplj but at the time it was wabc fm owned by abc obviously and uh, they had been running fairly traditional uh dallas made jingles and and they wanted to do something a little bit uh different so they had the idea of of going to london because a lot of uh, music was coming out of out of England and out of London at that time, and they said, "Well, let's let's go over there and see if we can find some some singers uh, to do this thing." And so they, uh, you know, had a studio and they they booked a, a band or uh, an orchestra, or whatever, and then they started auditioning singers, and the one uh, the one that they uh, they liked you know, came in and uh, played him uh, an audition uh, record or something that that he had made, but nobody knew who this guy was, and they thought that uh, he had a pretty good voice, and so they hired him for not very much money to sing on these jingles. And that guy, a year later, uh, released his first album, 
and went by the name of Elton John. <laughs> so, so, so if, if you want to hear Elton John singing a, a station jingle, uh, I, I can play you a couple of these that were just, uh, you know, taped off the air. But uh, it's just cool. You can recognize his voice for sure. So, uh, you know, I, I, I should say that, that I personally had nothing to do with this project. It's just a cool jingle story. So, yeah. Here's so 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 here's here's Elton John before you knew him as Elton John. Okay, here's another one. So you see, you see, that's that's <laughs> what happens. You got two hundred dollars for that, probably something like that. I was, was like thrilled. Two hundred fifty pounds, I think, to uh, to sing that. And he didn't just sing it for for them. Uh, he sang it for uh, all of the. Uh, there, there were what seven, I think, uh, FM stations that ABC owned at the time. Mm-hmm. So. He went back, he sang it for KABC, you probably heard it in L.A. He sang it for Chicago and Detroit and Pittsburgh. And so wherever you went, you would hear those jingles just uh, playing, playing like crazy. Well, the the jingle business continues. Uh, if you have Sirius XM radio, your jingles are on all of the various music stations as well as a lot of other radio stations around the the country although you know i i'm constantly mourning the loss of radio how radio just seems to be slipping away and i imagine that's the case for you too i'm i'm sure you guys were a lot busier 20 years ago oh yeah absolutely the uh well, you know, I mean, there are so many more choices now. When when we were enamored with our favorite stations growing up, whether it was KHJ or WABC or WLS if you're in the Midwest or BBC Radio 1 if you're hearing this in the UK, I mean, there, everybody had their favorite station. But back then, it was more of a shared common experience and pretty much everybody you knew was listening to the same thing because there just weren't that many alternatives, you know? Mm-hmm. So so now you've got, you know, 20,000 cable channels, you've got satellite, you've got streaming stations, you've, you know, you've got your own personal music collection that you can carry around on a microchip. It's just so different now. Uh, and as a result of that, uh, radio has become a little less you know, a little less interesting, let's say. I mean, there still are a few personalities on the air that uh, bring something to the to the show that you want to want to listen to. But a lot of the times, you know, it's just uh, it's a music box and it serves a purpose, but uh, it just doesn't seem to have the the spark that it once did. And that's just the natural evolution i guess of uh, of what's going on well now we media, have internet radio sad. stations like rewoundradio.com well done. 
Well and done. Well again, done. you're on every Sunday at 3 o'clock Eastern. And just Three figure hours that out depending upon where you are. And right. uh, it's, it's a great show. I listen every week. I, I learn a lot. And um, you play great songs, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the, the station, and uh, let, let me just quickly say, I mean, it's not my station that I invented. Uh, the station is actually uh, run by a, a guy by the name of Alan Sniffen in New York who uh, who had been in radio and 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 misses what it used to be like so uh rewound radio was a way to kind of keep that music and that style alive and uh, we did through the years tons and tons of jingles for rewound radio because we're trying to uh you know re-sing some of those vintage classic jingles that people remember from the various decades and uh, just uh, we're talking one day and I said, well, you know, the thing about being on the air and you can should know this more than anybody. The thing about being on the air is it's a little virus that gets into you and it may be dormant, but it never goes away. So you always have this temptation to want to get back behind a mic and, you know, talk up intros to songs and make terrible jokes and do all this kind of fun stuff. And uh, so, you know, he invited me to to do this show. And uh, like I said, most weeks it's the most fun thing that happens. <laughs> Which is both great and very sad. <laughs> yes, agreed. Definitely. Well, thank you, John. This has been fantastic. And, and thank you again for my jingles. Oh, well, that is, of course, our, our pleasure. Thank you for uh, the shout-out you give me every, every week. Every time I, we listen to the podcast every week and you get to the end and you're, you're saying hello to all those folks. And when you say my name, I always, I always wave to the radio. I, I don't know. Are you seeing that? I hope you're seeing me do that because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do enjoy that. But, uh, yeah, you know, now if, uh, if you get uh, swamped with requests from your podcast listeners to talk more about jingles, I can probably think of more things to say. <laughs> okay. Well, we will have you back. Absolutely. And Thanks, well, bud. you know, I have I should point out I should point out that that Ken was kind enough to be a guest on my rewound show a while back and uh, you know, telling his radio stories and his Hollywood stories and and so forth. And it was so great that uh, you were, in fact, a repeat guest yourself and got a lot of, a lot of great feedback on, on your appearance there. So you're a star, baby. Well, Carol King is really impressed with you, according to that text. So <laughs> I should be so lucky. Hollywood and Levine. And that will do it this week on Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks to John Wolfert. You can wave to yourself. Also to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, Howard Hoffman, Bruce and Jason Miller. If you have any thoughts on uh, the discussion today, today's music versus music of the past, well, I'd love to hear about it. My email, as always, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I'm also on Twitter at Ken Levine. I'm on Instagram, that is Hollywood and Levine, and I think I'm going to post uh, a picture or two of the recording session of my jingle so you get a chance to see kind of what it looks like. I know you're just going to rush 
over to Instagram to see that. Anyway, uh, thanks so much for listening. Also, subscribe if you haven't. Okay, that's all the business. And uh, stay safe. We'll talk to you next week. Once again, here's my jingle. Hollywood and the fine.